Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I don't know what episode this is. I don't have my computer with me, but I'm trying out all this new equipment, and we'll see how this goes and how it sounds. I am lucky enough to be joined this Father's Day by my daughter, Dalen. How are you doing, Dalen? I'm doing good. So Dalen, as her Father's Day gift to me, said she's going to help me get the podcast moving along by interviewing me, or I'm going to interview her, and she's going to ask me some questions. So I don't know how much we want to delve into your personal life. How old are you? 13. What's your name? Dalen. Who's the best dad in the world? I don't know. Oh, come on. <laughs> in, your, in your universe, who's the best dad in the world? You. Yeah, that's good. Good, good answer. Um, all right. Do you want to just start this off? Sure. You wrote down five questions for me. Mm-hmm. I told you to come up with ten and pick the best five. Yeah. Because that's how I usually do it if I'm interviewing somebody. I try to come up with like 50 questions and narrow it down to the, next, the, the best ten. And then I usually get to like two of them. And then I ramble on about other stuff. Uh, let's, uh, let's just do it. Give okay. me your first question. Okay. You've been a father for 13 years. What does that feel like to raise a child? Uh, not, as, not as big a deal as I thought it would be. I think when you, before you have kids, you think that being a parent is going to be this incredibly hard and mysterious thing. And it is in a lot of ways. It is hard in a lot of ways because you never feel like you're doing anything exactly the right way. Um, but you look around and there are a whole lot of people doing it, and you just uh, you just you just try to do the best you can. So I don't mm-hmm. know how does it feel. It feels it feels really good. I think when you were born um, and I was holding you uh, afterwards, it was like the first time in my life it felt like. Wow, this is this is what you're supposed to do. This is this is this feels like complete and full because I was holding you next to mom, and mom was only slightly drugged up at the time, <laughs> and uh, it just it kind of almost felt primal, like like this is what it's supposed to be all about. You're supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, you're supposed to care about other people, and you're supposed to have a child. That's our. See, this is the bad, uh, not having the good studio situation and trying out this new device. You guys might hear some jingling at times. That's our cat, Snowy. <laughs> yeah, she has this collar, and, like, it makes this jingling noise. It has a bell on it. Very funny, very cute. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, what's the next question? Uh, next question. What was your relationship with your own father when you were my age? Oh, let's see. You're 13 years old. Um, <laughs> you know this is a tricky question. Because my dad, my dad has a hard timeline to pin down. <laughs> if he's listening to this, he'll be laughing too. Um, okay, when I was 13, I was in... Uh, give or take a little. Right, right, right. So if I was in 7th or 8th grade, at that point, I think my dad had just moved to Florida. Because my dad, my dad had produced this movie called Lady in White which is an old-fashioned ghost story. He was the executive producer on this independent film. And it had done really well, um, but at the same time, his marriage to his 
his second wife, Robin, wasn't necessarily going all that well. So I think he, uh, I think he lit out for Florida, and he ended up just hanging out at a, at a beach house in Florida for a year or two, right around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's probably about what it was. And my dad and my dad and I always had a really interesting relationship because he's he's a really bright guy and a very deep thinker. And I think, you know, between Dan and Kara and I, who were his first three kids, I think I was probably the one that he felt like he could um, have a different different kinds of conversations with. And um, so it, it, we had that kind of a relationship. I think he he kind of asked me questions and was able to talk about things that maybe he felt like he couldn't talk about with other people. And I always appreciate that. I always, I always felt uh, like that. It made me feel special. Um, and I think it's funny because between Dan and Kara and I, he probably had his own way of making all of us feel special. With him and I, it was more of on an intellectual level. With Dan, um, you know, he was always there. When he, was, when he was living around us, he was filming Dan's wrestling matches. Um, and with Kara, they had their own special relationship too. I think, the, but the big thing about my dad is that he was—he's um, a very unique individual, and almost has, I think, too much spirit and creativity for for one life. And he's squeezed in about ten different lives in his one life. And um, I think at times, like he—he he felt. I know he feels like he could have done parenting differently, but the biggest thing that he taught me was to really look at things unconventionally um, and always feel like you can really, like genuinely feel like you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't like he told me that. He did that. And he would, you know, he'd say, I'm this, I'm this guy living in a small town in upstate New York. I'm going to produce a movie. And they produced a movie, and it was financially successful. And then he said, ah. eventually he said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to go uh, live in the Canadian Rockies in a hut with my third wife and have a child out in the middle of the wilderness like I'm a, like I'm a Native American in the 1600s. And he did that. Wow. Um, and he just kind of makes his own rules. So I, I learned a lot from that. And I think I've probably been, I've, I've had the imagination to do things that maybe I might not otherwise have done if I didn't have the father I did. Mm-hmm. Is that too rambling? I rambled. No, that's fine. I I don't talk about my dad a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't. Yeah, I can tell that you didn't because I knew like nothing about any of that. I just basically all I knew was that he lives on a farm and he produced movies. So (laughs) (laughs) you know what we should do is this this summer when we go up there we should uh, we should have a podcast with my dad. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting. I can have him tell stories. Yeah, he's got a lot of stories. I feel bad I haven't told you more of those stories. He's a really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, third question. You sort of brushed upon this when we talked about it in the first question, but this one is, what was the first thing that came to mind when you saw me as a newborn for the first time? Oh, okay. Um, well, I talked, about, I talked about what it was like when I was holding you, but that was, that was a few hours after you were actually born. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is how your labor went down. I was working out at the Texans facility because it was... May 4th, 2005. I think we just finished up the off-season practices, so I was just in working out with Dan Riley, the strength coach, and I got a call from your mom. Mm-hmm. And your mom very calmly said, I'm having the baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I freaked out, and I ran out, and I got my clothes on, and I didn't shower or anything, and I went home. But she wasn't having a ton of contractions. She just knew that it was about time. Mm-hmm. So we went to the hospital, 
at uh, St. Luke's. And the doctor came in and asked if we wanted to induce. So we said, sure, why not? Um, because she seemed to think it was about time. And then she went off. I, I can't remember exactly how it happens. They induce labor, which means they're going to they're gonna help it along and make it mm-hmm. come faster. Yeah. And then she, she went off and she had other appointments in another building. Um, but then within not too long an amount of time, your mom started having contractions. Um, and I'll try to think. I know what happened now because they explained it to me afterwards, but mm-hmm. I'll explain how it was going out at the time because I didn't know what was going <laughs> on. All I knew was that the nurse came in and she attaches little uh, sensors to your, your scalp while you're still mm-hmm. inside, Mom, to test your pulse. And your mom would have contractions and your heart rate would drop really low. Mm-hmm. Like it would go from, you know, in the 90s or 100 or whatever it is, um, down to much lower than that. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that the nurses came in and they were repositioning your mom and they were trying to reposition you while you were mm-hmm. still inside of her. Um, and they were working very frantically and there were a couple of nurses in there. Mm-hmm. And I just was standing there and I didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. at all. And I was afraid to ask. I didn't want to get <laughs> in anybody's way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time you just see, I would just see that heart rate drop and then raise back up. And all kinds of things were going through my mind about what might be going wrong. And I think they gave me some assurances that it wasn't that big a deal at that moment, but they had to get you into to do a C-section immediately. Mm-hmm. So the doctor ran back from uh, wherever she was in the medical center back over to St. Luke's, and they took your mom and you into <laughs> <laughs> the operating room. And, I and then I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there in the waiting room where we had been just mm-hmm. in my scrubs and with nobody saying anything to me. So yeah, I don't yikes. know what's going on at that point. All I just kept hearing him say was stat C-section, stat C-section. That means right away C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually somebody came and took me in and they had your mom all tented up. There's like a tent between her head and her lower body. Mm-hmm. And they had me come in, but nobody really explained anything to me. Um, and I don't know how long it was. It seemed like forever. It probably wasn't long at all. I heard the doctor say, it's a baby girl, which we already knew. We, mm-hmm. we knew you were a girl, but then, yeah. you know, that's what they say. That's what <laughs> they probably learn in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing I could hear at that moment was the absence of crying um, or the absence of a baby because that's what you expect is that you're going to mm-hmm. hear a baby crying. Um, and still nobody was saying anything to us. And I'm sure the doctors were talking to each other um, and the nurses were talking to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what was going on. And they rushed you past us and I didn't even really get to see you on your way past your mm-hmm. mom and I um, until a couple minutes later they came in and said I could come see you. Mm-hmm. And at that point you still hadn't cried and you weren't responding there's a score called an APGAR, which tells you how responsive a baby is. Mm-hmm. And, and you weren't very responsive at all. Um, so I didn't know what was going on. And I was really nervous. And I, didn't, I, was, I was too afraid to even ask questions. <laughs> um, but so they brought me in. And I saw you there. You were just laying on your back, you know, with your eyes closed and looking up. And they said later that you hadn't responded at all yet. 
Um, but I came in and I said, hey, I said, hey, buddy. I don't know why I thought to call you buddy, but I was like, hey, You've buddy. You've been calling me buddy to, to this day, so. <laughs> and it, and at, that, at that moment when you heard my voice, you turned over and opened oh your eyes God. and looked at me um, and just started, you know, uh, making your little baby face stuff. Uh, but then they had to take you away to do all this t- these tests on you because you because they were a little bit nervous to be sure everything was fine, and that was really hard too because nobody talked to me, and I didn't I didn't I didn't want to ask any questions because mm-hmm. I was afraid that there might have been some kind of uh, brain damage or something. I just didn't know, mm-hmm. um, so it ended up being a long time of me sitting and watching you, and they, they threw you in little. What is it? It's not an incubator, but a warm. Uh, um, they're they're just they're doing all this stuff to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, uh, after an hour or two, I was able to talk to the doctor, and she told me that everything was fine. It was no <laughs> big deal. I'm like, oh, thanks. Um, but that's why that was why it was so special when I actually brought you back to your mom. They hadn't talked to mom yet either, and mom didn't know what was going on. Jeez. And mom was afraid to ask questions, <laughs> so I was able to kind of tell mom that you were fine and you were healthy and all this. And I honestly, I don't know how long it was. It seemed like it was eight hours. Mm-hmm. It might have been like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but it was just such a, it was really, really cool. It was, I, and I can't, I try to explain this to guys when their wives are pregnant um, about just what a powerful moment it's going to be. But it's, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's when I first fell in love with you. Mom kept telling me while she was pregnant about how awesome it was going to be. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um. Question number four. Um, do you have a favorite memory of the two of us together when I was younger? When you were younger, let's see. I when we were when we were staying with your grandparents with Fred and Cindy, mm-hmm. um, that time we built that huge snow fort was pretty cool. I felt it was you know what was cool about it? We built this huge like igloo. I don't think we ever completed it all the way to be a complete igloo. It was right. close. It was pretty I, impressive. Yeah, I was like four or five, but like it was really impressive. I remember how impressive it was. Like we had like snow furniture, like a bunch of different rooms. It was really big too. <laughs> it was like we had stripped the entire yard down to bare grass, and there was like two feet of snow originally. <laughs> like it was crazy. We kept rolling giant snowballs over mm. to take snow from. Yeah. Um, I that was cool. Because that was like the snow fort I always wished I'd had as a kid. So I felt, I just felt good making it for you. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the, probably if I just close my eyes and think about the things that made me happiest when you were little was when we would take you to the beach and you would just run and run and run and run. You just wouldn't stop. It was astounding how good your endurance was. Um, and we would just chase after you. And, but you were just like a dog. We'd, uh, when you take a dog for a walk and it gets too excited, and then all of a sudden you have to carry it back home, mm-hmm. that was you. Because you'd, like, you'd run like a mile and a half down the beach, and then that was it. You didn't want to walk back, <laughs> so I'd carry you for a while. Aww. And then you'd play in the tide pools. <laughs> the tide pools are the best because you don't have to – it's terrifying when your young child is in the ocean. Like you feel like you have to just be right there all the time. Mm-hmm. But then in the tide pools – it's just like this massive waiting pool that uh, I can just sit back and, and watch you play. So definitely, I think the, the, beach, the beach experiences when your mom and I would trail behind you uh, mm-hmm. watching you run were, were my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question. Okay. Okay. Um, what advice do you have for any new fathers out there? Oh, for the new fathers, the f- two things. One is whatever baby books you were reading before you had the child, 
<laughs> like keep reading because we. I feel like I read. I feel like your mom and I, because your mom had kind of a tough pregnancy and she couldn't. Mm-hmm. She couldn't. She wasn't real active, so I had to. I we spent a lot of time reading and we had baby yeah. books and we read all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of a sudden, like once you were born, you you don't have any time to read. So I wish I had read more books about like raising the first, second, third years, like all the way up to yeah. your toddlerhood before mm-hmm. you were born. Um, and then the second one is like don't don't worry too much about what the books say because <laughs> every kid's individual, and mm-hmm. you're gonna underestimate your own abilities to figure out what your kids need and what your kids want, and you'll mm-hmm. have different people telling you that this is how you need to nurse them or this is how you need to feed them. Um, and I think one thing your mom and I, your mom and I were stressed at first because we weren't able to do it exactly the way that we had read and we had planned, Mm -hmm. but we just learned that, you know what, you're unique. And I think people that have multiple kids will tell you that, that every kid's different. And you, uh, you were really, really, really awesome in some ways as an infant and you were really, really (laughs) challenging in some ways as an infant. And we Mm -hmm. just had to figure out how to do it. And then the third one is, like, that I still have to remind myself, and, man, this is going to make me almost cry. Like, I can't believe you're 13 years old, <laughs> um, and I don't know I don't know how to make somebody savor it more or explain to them just how fast it's going to fly by. But all of a sudden, when, when you got to be 12 years old, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you had all these interests that had nothing to do with your mom and I. <laughs> and that's when you really feel, I really feel you starting to move apart and like you start getting excited about going off to college already. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's only five years away. Um, and I'm not scared because I know you're going to be awesome. <laughs> and I know you're going to be great when you're living on your own. Um, but I'm going to miss you a lot. So yeah. I'm going to really try to enjoy the next five years. Mm-hmm. that good? Yeah, I mean... That's it for the questions, but if you still want to talk about any more things, like, we can just come up with more stuff as we go along, I guess. We could. Yeah. This is what, this is what happens when sometimes you're doing a radio show, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you realize, like, I'm done saying everything I want to say, <laughs> and I didn't think about <laughs> anything else to say today, other than <laughs> my mundane everyday lives. Yeah. We're watching The Staircase right now. Oh, that's one of my favorite parts of you being 13 mm-hmm. is that now you can watch some of like the true crime documentaries and everything that yeah. your mom and I are watching. I'm not so sure you should be watching everything about the staircase, um, but it's this show on Netflix. I'll explain for the listeners about uh, a former, uh, was he in the army or the Marines? Uh, I don't know. He served in he served the, in Vietnam. Or was it Afghanistan? Uh, no, one Vietnam, of, Vietnam. 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 But then he went on to um, become a writer, a fiction writer. Uh, but he found his wife dead at the bottom of the stairs one day and in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, and the police said he did it. And then what followed was, gosh, I guess 15 years of trials and um, various, I don't want to give anything away to anybody. It's really, it, I started off watching it in the first, in the first segment. My, Brandy's giving us the wrap it up sign. Um <laughs> It's a, I don't want to wrap it up, Randy. Um, anyway, it's a really good true crime documentary. And yeah. Are you enjoying it? It doesn't scare you? Oh, no, not at all. It's, it's really good. We have, like, about two or three episodes left, but it is really good. We've been binge-watching it. So. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good parenting to introduce you to binging on Netflix. Mm. Does it feel like good parenting? I kn- 
I know better than to. In the, well, I mean, I, I'll binge watch a little. I mean, who doesn't? But like, <laughs> I have. You guys are okay. I think you're, you're trying okay. to. Are you trying to not divulge how much you sneak in watching television? <laughs> That's what I sense. I feel like no, no, you're pretty good. No. All right. I thanks. actually don't watch that much TV, so. Well, thanks, buddy. I yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Dad. Happy, uh, happy birthday from a couple months ago, and then yeah. you can wish me happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. All right. Mm-hmm. Love ya. Bye. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 